is the third Sunday of Advent, and so good morning and Merry Christmas. The plot is thickening and the expectation is building to the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Next Sunday, you'll have a beautiful celebration, as David mentioned, and we invite all of you to be here with us. Um, if you must do like an evening service, okay, so you're like, oh, you guys are doing the candlelight in the morning, uh, yes, because m most of us do Noche Buena too, okay, so it works out amazing. This is one of the years that it just like everything falls into place. But if you're saying, no, it has to be an evening service, we have one in Homestead and one in Brickell, okay, so you can go to our Homestead campus or our Brickell campus for the evening candlelight if you want. So just leaving it out there. Um, I have a friend. He's a pastor. He's a pastor in town. He's not uh, leading the church particularly. He uh, helps and supports uh, an another friend of his who's a pastor in town as well. And one of the ways that he helps to bring income to his family to pay the bills is by doing some extra jobs. Now, now uh, Steve is uh, probably like 6'5", probably like... Um, 280 pounds. Be, be kind with me, Steve. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm giving you a shout out here if you listen to this. Uh, and he looks like a Viking. He has like uh, this huge beard. And uh, this time of the year, uh, one of the jobs that he does is he plays Santa. You know, he, he goes to, to malls and to places and he, and he does that, that the Santa uh, where, you know, parents bring their kids to take pictures with Santa. And uh, this past week, he was at the Ritz-Carlton in Key Biscayne, and uh, just going about his business, doing his job, and he texts me, I think it was on Friday, Beth and I were driving from one place to the other, and he says, uh, have you seen the news? And I said, what? What, the, what news? He's like, bro, it's gone viral. It's like, what? You know, my, my job as Santa at the Ritz. I said, why? Uh, uh, you know, apparently there was this um, family that came, and they had this little girl, and, you know, he, he invited her to sit on his lap, and the girl said no, and he stopped, and he said, you go, girl. You're in control of your own body. You can say no to people. And so the mom asked him to repeat that and recorded and put it on TikTok, and it's had, a, like, millions of hits, okay? <laughs> Million, millions of hits. It's been on the New York Times, uh, USA Today. It's gone nuts, Okay? And I was thinking about this because oftentimes, words of wisdom and acts of kindness, they go unnoticed in this world. And it's not until we have moments like these that we're able to see, you know, people at work for the sake of people. And it reminds me of what Christmas is all about. I mean, that's a perfect picture of what Christmas is all about, is that God decides through Christmas to shine his spotlight on these moments that would normally go unnoticed. And through these moments, reveal hope to us. And maybe you are here today and you are about to wrap up the year in a very discouraging mood. Things did not go as you expected, but God wants to shine the light once again on that which happened some 2,000 years ago in a very small town inside a manger to reignite hope in your life. 
He wants you to see the full light and beauty of Christmas. And moreover, he wants to envelop you with this light of Christmas. He wants to shine his spotlight on his son and consequently on you. And the passage that we have in front of us today to guide us through that is Luke chapter 2. This is a very famous passage. It's a passage of the annunciation of the birth of Jesus. It's uh, when God comes into the world to break the news that his son had been born. I don't know if you remember when you had your first child and how you broke the news and to whom you broke the news, but it matters the way you do it and to the people that you do it first. I remember uh, first, uh, my, my parents were the only ones allowed into uh, the hospital and then some close friends. And then we started sharing with our church community and with others that were out in the fringes. And then we posted on Facebook. It took about like a week or so to post a picture on Facebook. Because you want to make sure that the people that you love the most hear it first. And this is what this passage is about. So we find ourselves in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I want to invite you to read with me if you don't have... Uh, Bible in front of you. The text is on the screen. You can follow along that way. That's what the Word of God says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. There's three things that this passage teaches us. Uh, the first one is it uh, reminds us of the setting of Christmas. Uh, where did it happen? Where did it take place? Where was Christmas first announced? It tells us about that. Secondly, this passage tells us about the people of Christmas. Who were the people that participated uh, in this annunciation? Who were the first people to see Jesus, who were able to celebrate uh, the coming of God's Savior in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ? So the people of Christmas, whom to whom Christmas is for. And then uh, thirdly, it tells us about the light of Christmas and how as the people in this passage were able to experience that light, envelop them, how can we experience that as well? Okay, so let's look at the setting of Christmas. Where did it happen? And I know it was pretty clear to you, and you probably know 
the story already. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's what verse 8 refers to. And in the same region, there were shepherds. What region? What same region? Well, if you start reading the beginning of chapter 2, we read about the fact that uh, Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem, which uh, was where their family uh, lineage was from. Uh, That was the city of David. Both Mary and Joseph were uh, direct descendants of King David. And Caesar was doing a census, and they had to go to their a town of origin in order to be registered. So that's why they find themselves there. And while they're there for that registration, Mary's water breaks and uh, Jesus is born. He's not born in a hospital. He's not born in a hotel. He is born in a manger. You guys all know the story. It happens in Bethlehem. And I think that this is always important for us to revisit this because this is one of the 350 prophecies about the coming of Christ that had been fulfilled. You know, Jesus' life, birth, death, and resurrection was prophesied by the prophets of old. Thousands of years before the coming of Jesus, details about his birth, where he would be born. Micah 5 talks about that. That was the content of our first sermon in this series. And many other prophecies about the details of the birth of Christ and the life of Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ were prophesied, and they're all fulfilled. And this is one of the prophecies that is fulfilled. The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is a fulfillment of God's promise that that's where the Savior of the world would come, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. So that is very important to us. But I think uh, there is something that goes unnoticed sometimes in this text about where Christmas happens and takes place and the significance and impact of that. And that is the fact that uh, as Jesus is being born in a manger in Bethlehem, out in the fields uh, in Bethlehem, and I had the privilege of being out in one of those fields, uh, maybe some of you have as well, simultaneously there are shepherds out there working, going about their business of tending sheep in the middle of the night. The text tells us that uh, they heard the annunciation of the birth of Christ by night, right? Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And I, and I think that this is something that must not go unnoticed because this is emblematic, this is intentional here in this biblical narrative to describe and portray the, the context and the environment by which God's Savior in Jesus Christ comes into the world. He comes into a world that lies in darkness. And if you don't believe that that's emblematic of that spiritual condition and context of where the world found itself, or it finds itself still today, go to John chapter 1. And John, as he's introducing Jesus to his audience, he's talking about Jesus as God's light coming into this dark world. It's so right there in chapter 1 of John. Jesus comes into a dark world. This world is a dark place. And it's amazing to see all the uh, advances of science, of how it's made our life easier. But even with all the human enlightenment that has come to us in the last decade, and that will continue to happen into the future, up to this point, it's still not enough, even though life has gotten better. And by the way, I wouldn't want things to go back even 20 years, because <laughs> I like how things technologically are, are going in terms of medicine and uh, in terms of communications and, and in terms of all sorts of different things. However, no amount of human enlightenment will be ever able to lift the endarkment where this world finds itself. This world 
was dark when Jesus came into it, and it continues to be a dark world. And some of you are way more aware than others because you have had seasons of pain and suffering and loss in your life. You've lost loved ones to terminal diseases. You've been into accidents, financial crisis, relationship breakdown and fallouts. And, 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 and most of us have been reminded also of this brokenness and the darkness that the world lies in. We would never think that in this day and age you would have conflicts and wars like the ones that we were seeing in Eastern Europe or in the Middle East. It is sad, but it's true. We do live in a dark world. And the reason why no amount of human enlightenment will be ever able to lift the endarkment of this world is because of the source of all the endarkment and the darkness, which is the human heart. Uh, Martin Luther, the German reformer, used to describe the human heart as incurvato se, or curved in on itself. It only sees itself and nothing beyond itself. It is selfish. It is self-centered. It forgets God and it forgets its neighbor. It only looks after its own wants and passions and desires. And that's what makes the world the way it is. That's what creates war. That's what builds conflict. That's what builds and creates injustice. The human heart is in corvato say. It's the source of it all, which confirms also what Alexander Solzhenitsyn used to say, that uh, the line that divides between good and evil comes down to every single human heart. Because we tend to identify evil with people groups or political parties, or um, economic systems, and the source of evil is none of these things. The source of evil is the human heart. And if you don't believe that, this is what Jeremiah says. This is the message version about the human heart. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. That's how the Bible describes my heart and your heart, it's the source of everything. Jesus says that what contaminates people is not what enters in the body through the mouth, but everything that comes out of our mouths because of the heart. And what the mouth speaks of, the heart is filled with. That's what Jesus talks about. The heart, the human heart, is what the Reformed theologians talked about as radically corrupt depraved. It's the source of it all. So Jesus comes into a world in darkness at night as emblematic of the world, but also the condition of humanity. He comes to pierce the darkness of the world and pierce the darkness of our hearts and offer hope to show that the darkness and evil will not win, will not triumph. He will triumph through his light. It's, it's a message of deep hope for all of us here today, regardless of the amount of darkness that we are aware of or not. But it comes to a people. That's, that's the setting. That's the setting. But it comes to a people. And who are, who are the people that uh, first participate in the Annunciation, a celebration of the birth of Jesus? <laughs> we read here in the text, the shepherds. And I think that this is uh, significant for us to understand because these were people that lived their lives off the spotlight. Nobody wanted to put the spotlight on the shepherds because they were the most despised of the classes of people in their world and their society. Uh, a Bible commentator says this about uh, shepherds. 
Shepherding had changed from a family business, as in David's time, to a despised occupation at the time. The rabbis considered them to be religious outcasts, and their testimony was not admissible in court. And Aristotle, the uh, Greek philosopher, said this about shepherds, the laziest are shepherds who lead an idle life and get their substance, subsistence, get their subsistence without trouble from tame animals. So these are the people that God chooses first at the top of the list to announce the birth of his son into the world. Notice that uh, when he's about to break the news, he does not go to the temple and summons the high priest and the other priests and says, before it goes public, I want to give you the opportunity to read this press release. He does not go into Herod's palace and say, hey, by the way, I wanted to let you know that uh, my son has been born and uh, I wanted you to hear this first. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go to Rome and announce it to Caesar first. He announces first to the shepherds, the people who lived off the spotlight. And I think this is a very important and encouraging message for all of us here today because maybe you're going through a season like this, maybe you've experienced this before, but we all go through times and seasons in life where we feel unappreciated, unnoticed, insignificant. That's the sentiment that you have when you go into your office space and you come out, nobody cares about you. There's, there's no words of praise or encouragement and maybe you've put in extra work and you didn't receive the compensation or, or, or the, uh, the applause that you were looking for. And that really gets to you. Or maybe that's your spouse. You walk into your house and you're unnoticed. You feel unappreciated. You feel insignificant, small. Maybe you have invested a lot of time and efforts and money into your children. And they have grown up and they are entitled. They have not appreciated you for all the sacrifices. They never said anything about it. You feel that you have gone unnoticed. We all go through moments like these, and especially in a culture like the one that we live in, which really pushes us towards acknowledgement and recognition. We all want and desperately crave the spotlight for whatever we are. I was reading this uh, this article this past week about Gen Z's. And I have um, four, maybe two Gen Z's. Uh, I don't know where the generations stop. Um, but they were saying this about Gen Z's, that 57% of Gen Z's would rather be a social influencer than an astronaut. You don't believe me? Ask your kid right now. Do you want to be an astronaut or would you like to have 5 million followers on Instagram? They'll tell you. Because we, this culture pushes us towards recognition and into the spotlight. We all desire and crave that. We celebrate and we worship celebrities. That, that's our culture. And sometimes we even feel entitled to more recognition than, than we actually should be receiving in the first place. But it addicts us. It, 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 it pushes, it preaches to us that that's what brings joy, fulfillment, and meaning and many of us feel 
even more unnoticed and unwanted and unappreciated than the shepherds did at that time. And yet the message of Christmas says, hey, even though you feel unappreciated, unnoticed, insignificant, guess what? God sees you. He came for you. He values you. He has noticed you. He's heard your cries and he's seen your afflictions. And that's why he sent his son. And as he is having that moment through the, as the angels having that moment of announcement and, and party and celebration with these shepherds out in the field, uh, the words are very clear to the shepherds about the good news that they were bearing. If you go to verse 10, the angels say, fear not, for behold, verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be not just for you, you're at the top of the list, fair, but it's not just for you, it's for all the people. The good news that was breaking into the world through that outcast class, those who lived off the spotlight, who God was shining his light upon, was to say that you are first, but it's for everyone. And that also reminds us of this, two things. Number one, no one is beyond the reach or the need for the Savior. No one is beyond the need of a Savior. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, I, why would I need a Savior? I mean, I know all the right things that I need to do. My life is all well put together. That's the definition of a religious person. A religious person runs away from Jesus because they think that they can do all the right things on themselves and, and attract God's attention and favor through their good works. There's this line in Flannery O'Connor's book about one of her characters that the best way that they avoided or that person avoided Jesus was by avoiding sin. And it reminds us, obviously, too, of the conversation that years later Jesus is having with this man by the name of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, who comes to him, by the way, also by night in the middle of the darkness because he doesn't want to be acknowledged or recognized uh, meeting with this rebel rabbi. And uh, he is a man of the synagogue. He is a leader in his church community. He is a wealthy man. He's successful professionally. And Jesus says, even you must be born again. And if someone like Nicodemus needs to be born again, all of us, shepherds and everything in between needs to be born again as well. You need to be born again. If you haven't been born again, that's why Jesus came, to give you new life. You need to be born again. No one is beyond the need of a Savior, and no one is out of the reach of the Savior. And that's encouraging as well because we all know this time of the year, especially as we gather the family, and uh, it can be a traumatic experience oftentimes when you're celebrating Noche Buena or Christmas Eve with your family because there are some people there that you absolutely abhor. Come on, let's be honest here. It's, it's, no, come on, let's be honest. And you look around the table, around the room, and you say, there's no hope for them, there's no hope for him, there's no hope for her. It's always going to be this way with them. And we have coworkers that we look and we say there's no hope for him, there's no hope for her. There are neighbors that we uh, feel the same way about and, and people. And there's no hope for people that vote this way. <laughs> That's true. There's no hope for people that believe this way or live life this way. 
And Christmas reminds us that not only no one is beyond the need of a Savior, no one is outside of the reach of the Savior. There's hope. For all the people that you have given up on and pushed to the margins of your life, like these shepherds are living in the margins of society, there's hope for them too. May your hope during this season for others be reignited because the Savior has come into the world. And if you happen to find yourself in a moment or in a place of darkness in this time and in this season, if darkness is something very much real to you, there's some things that I want to tell you. And the first thing I'll tell you is that's not all bad. Because the darkness is where God begins his work. The darkness is where God starts to do his thing. God always starts his work in the context of darkness. Because that's where light shines through. That's where God begins his work. And think about this. Where dreams are born and the expectation of a new and better future happens and takes place first is in the dark when you're dreaming. In fact, many of us, when we celebrate our accomplishments in life, we say, I'm now living the dream. Because you work towards that hope and towards that future. But where did it start? It started in a place of darkness. You know, when we are at sleep at night, that's where these dreams are birthed. And so is the dream of redemption, is salvation, is birthed in that context. God is speaking to some of you here today clearly. Receiving this word, he's speaking to some of you clearly. You've stopped dreaming, start dreaming again. You have lost all hope. You're in the dark. This is where dreams begin and they start. Begin to re-envision a future where his hope plays a big role in shaping it. This is the time for that. The dark spaces of our lives and souls and seasons are often the place, too, for the spark of enlightenment to break through. Carl Jung, the psychologist, says that you can only be as self-aware as you know yourself, but you are only going to re really be able to know yourself not in the moments of joy and, and uh, you know, and accomplishments and happiness, but in the dark moments. That's where you're able to see your own story and your own soul and your own heart. God always begins to do his thing in the dark. How does the Bible start, by the way? Genesis 1, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was dark and formless, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the dark waters. And so if your heart is in that condition, it's shapeless and formless, you are hopeless it may just be that the Spirit of God is beginning to hover over the surface of your dark waters. Amen? This is what Christmas is about. And in that, he brings forth his light. What is the light of Christmas all about? How can we experience it? I love, I love the way... Luke describes it in verse 9, after the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
It was around them, the glory, the weight. The word glory means weight, the weight of God. They sensed the presence and the weight of God around them. They could now finally see everything. It's the clearest they had been about themselves, about what God was announcing, and the implications of that into the world and into the future. They never went to school, and they probably didn't know really well the Torah. They knew nothing, but it was very clear to them because the glory, the weight of God had shone around them. How can we come to this experience? Because I am convinced that this is the experience that we were all created for. If you're here in this room today, this is the experience that God wants to have with you. And it's not just a one-time experience. It's got to be a constant experience. I spoke about this last week of how many of us has, have lost our sense of wonder about the work of God in our lives. We can no longer see him moving at work, and he wants to restore that. He wants you not just to see, but in this case here, to sense the weight of it all around you. How can you do that? It's for all the people. It's not just for the shepherds. It's not just for the religious class like myself. It's for you too because it's for all the people. This is good news for all the people. How, how can you experience that? There's three things here in this text that tells us. The first one, you must listen to him. The angel comes to the shepherds and gives them clear instructions of what would happen and take place. God was literally speaking and they were listening. We know that they were listening because of what they did after that. And what I want to tell you is that God is always speaking. I said this last week. I'll say this again. He is speaking right now. The problem is not that God is silent. The problem is that you're not attuned to that which he is saying. You're not aware. You're not sensitive enough to hear him speak. You are shut off. You are closed-minded. You know, I've, uh, I've used this illustration before, but the truth is that even in this room, there are hundreds of of radio waves that are moving between us and through us, hundreds of messages in the airwaves right now in this room. And the reason why we don't know what they are saying is because we don't have the apparatus at our disposal right now to decipher what these waves are communicating to us, but they are here, moving through your body right now. Is that correct, Professor Trent? Yes. The guy who has a degree in audio engineering, he will tell you that. That is happening. It's moving through your body. If you pick up a radio and you tune in, you'll listen. And you can change frequencies. And God is speaking right now. It's just that we're not attuned. It's like static. Why? Because we're trying to tune to other frequencies. <laughs> the frequency of success, of romance. And God's station is... Listen, are you listening? Isn't it frustrating when you're trying to communicate with someone and your spouse, especially, is always looking at their phone, just like, yeah, tell me, how was your day? All right? What do you want to do? Okay, don't tell me. <laughs> or when you go into a meeting and, and someone is always picking up calls, what, 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 do you, what, what does that do to you? What is, how does that make you feel? And, and many times God is speaking, and he spoke the loudest through the incarnation. In this season, we are reminded of how loudly God spoke to us. How else could God speak clear and louder than by putting on himself human flesh 
and communicating with a human mouth with us. If you can't hear God now this season, you can't hear him at all. So listen. Are you listening? Are you listening? Secondly, see him. Look, after they, they heard uh, the annunciation of the angels, what did they do? Verse 15, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. All the words, all the prophecies was pointing to Jesus. You must not just be willing to listen to God, but you must be willing to obey. And what does obedience look like here? Going to Jesus. <laughs> Going to Jesus. It doesn't mean doing anything else. God doesn't require you to fulfill a list of things and accept. Go to my son. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. All of the passages of Scripture are pointing to Jesus. Every event in history is pointing to Jesus. All of the hope of the dark and broken world is cast out only in Jesus. In Jesus, God goes into the darkness of this world to bring forth his light. Go to Jesus. Every Sunday when you come here at Crossbridge, the invitation is, oh, come to Jesus. Always come to Jesus. We're not inviting you to look at any code of religion or anything else, but that you would reorient your heart's hope in Jesus. Go to him, listen, and go to him. That's what the shepherds are doing. And then lastly, this is a consequence of doing the other two things, listening and seeing. How does the text end, verse 20? How does verse 20 end? And the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's something beautiful about this passage. The passage ends with the shepherds just as it began with the angels. How does the passage start? With the angels worshiping God and proclaiming the birth of Christ. How does it end? With the shepherds doing the same thing that the angels were doing in the beginning of the passage. Because the realization of the coming of Christ for you becomes contagious. And not only does it move your heart to sing of the beauty that exists embedded in this story, but you can't contain and you want to share it with others as well. How do you know that you have finally been enveloped by the glory of God, that it's shone around you, that you sense its weight? How would you ever know? It's how passionate you worship and you proclaim the coming of the Savior to other people. If during the season there is no passion and no excitement about announcing to others that Jesus has come, then maybe you should start by listening first. Here's a great opportunity for you to start 
doing this. This week, practical. They say that most people that are unchurched, that do not go to church, will take you upon your invitation of either going to an Easter service or a Christmas service. Now, I'm going to tell you something about next Sunday. I'm going to preach the gospel clear and loud. Maybe one of the ways that you can proclaim the hope of Jesus during this week, you share with people the hope that you have received and what you have seen God is sharing with you. And you invite them to celebrate Christmas with you and hear the gospel afresh. And my hope is that not only starting today, but next Sunday, maybe for others as well, that as the shepherds ended in this passage, that we will leave this place and begin to do what they were doing. We begin the work where their work ended here in this passage. Because that worship has become contagious to us. What God is calling us, church, into this season is to go into the darkness of our world, our neighborhoods, our cities, into the darkness of our lives and our friends' lives, to sing about the hope of the coming of Christ to others. That's what he's inviting us to do. And you know what that work begins? Begins right now. Let's stand up because that's what we're going to do right now. We begin singing and proclaiming this good news amongst ourselves and out of this place into the neighborhoods, into the office spaces, into the world that the Savior is born. Father, we are grateful that you have allowed us to come into this place in a day such as today and, and refresh our memories and reignite our hearts on the meaning of Christmas Father, we, uh, we want to we wanna hear you speak. We, we want to see you. We, Father, allow us today the freedom. Compel us to go to Jesus. <laughs> Father, pierce the darkness of our hearts. Pierce the darkness of our lives, Father, and uh, bring forth light and, and so that there would be singing instead of mourning that our mourning would be transformed into songs of praise. And Father, may those around us and afar from us hear it loudly and clear that you have come into the world, not just for us, but for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship, church.